Welcome to Blackout at Sunrise. Today's guest, Mr. Mike Hill. Mike is a guitar player and vocalist and founder member of New York band Tombs. Most recent release, named Savage Gold, came out on Relapse Records in the summer of 2014. Sticking with the Savage Gold theme, he also set up his own coffee company in 2014 called Savage Gold Coffee. Check this out at savagegoldcoffee.com. Mike is also a podcaster and a blogger and runs Everything With Black Media. Check out everythingwithblackmedia.com. All these interviews can also be found on iTunes under Everything With Black Media. They're also available on Podbean at everythingwithblack.podbean.com. Also, a quick thank you to the following people. John Herfinan at Warcry Training. Check out facebook.com forward slash Warcry Training. You can contact him at warcrylife at gmail.com. I'd also like to thank Tony Galvin from Corkinesiology. Check out corkinesiology.com for more information. It's time to hear from Mr. Mike Hill. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Mike, what's happening, brother? Doing all right. Good man, good man. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. How's life? Happy Friday. Oh, yeah, it's Friday the 13th, by the way. Oh, fuck, yeah. I didn't even realize that, man. (laughs) Fuck. Did you have any crazy mishaps today or anything? No, just uh, actually a pretty slow day. Um, you know, just some work. Uh, you know, got a little training in today. Um, yeah, we've got a big practice weekend coming up. A lot of, um, you know, we're getting ready to, to head out head out for that European tour. Oh, yeah, that starts in April, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, the tour starts in April. Um, we're playing Roadburn, and uh, there's a bunch of UK dates on that, on that tour as well. I'm looking forward to getting back over there. Is this your first time playing Roadburn? Have you done it before? Uh, no, we played in uh, 2012, actually. The same day that Sleep and the Obsessed played. It was pretty cool. Man, I think a buddy of mine might have been at that show, and he said it was fucking intense. There was a lot of great bands. Um, yeah. Rancy Pazuzu played, he's, uh, and uh, Necros Christos uh, played exactly the same time our set was, so I didn't get a chance to see them. Okay. Actually, a friend of mine put me onto a band um, yesterday called uh, Beast Milk. Um, I think they've renamed their name to Grave Pleasures now, I think. But I think one of the members of um, Aranci Pazuzu has joined him because one of the founder members left. So kind of worth checking out, man. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're from Finland, I think. It's interesting that they changed their name. Uh, I thought that name was a little bit weird, so you know, I think it's for the best. Beast Milk, I actually kind of like it. It kind of reminded me of that uh, Cobalt released... Um, an EP at one stage, I, I think Beast Milk was in the title, so maybe that made me like it a bit more. But yeah, Grave Pleasures isn't a bad name either, though. It's kind of cool, man. So, Mike, um, let's get started. So I was I was doing a little bit of um, recon on you before I said I'd start the interview and stuff. And uh, 
I was listening to you. I, well, I just listened to the, you did a little intro to um, the Karen Crisis podcast. You said that um, 2014 was a really good year for you and a really busy year for you. And it seemed like it was kind of like um, a savage gold theme year for you. And with the release of the Tombs record, and the, you set up Savage Gold Coffee as well in 2014. I think it was in Stereogum you said the idea for the coffee company was kind of germinating in your head for a while. And how long had the idea been there, man? And uh, why coffee in particular? Uh, well, I, I'm a long time, lifetime coffee drinker. And, uh, you know, it's always been something that, you know, I mean, my, my grandmother, my, my mother's side of my family is Italian. So coffee fit really big into my upbringing. And uh, I just, um, I always loved coffee. And then, my my love for coffee was further reinforced by the song Black Coffee by Black Flag. Black Flag, yeah, yeah. I just remember, I think I was like lifting weights with some friends or whatever, and they were playing that. That song came on on this mixtape, and I'd never heard it. I was like 16, maybe, maybe 15 years old at the time. And I was like, man, this is some badass shit, you know, like really intense, you know, music, references to coffee. And then I just kind of went further in that direction. The idea for uh, for doing the company, um, you know, there's like a, a philosophy of self improvement and just sort of expansion and, and attaining goals and you know manifesting your your ideas and all of that stuff. For me, was uh, one of the main catalysts for that is, is caffeine, you know, and then keeping sharp and all that sort of business. And um, you know, I've been really fascinated with the paleo lifestyle and being okay. uh, sort of. Uh, Bulletproof style coffee with the MCT oil and butter. And that led me to start my own sort of thing. And uh, I'm working with a roaster up in Syracuse and we're just, you know, going nuts, figuring out all these interesting roast profiles and selecting great beans and just kind of bringing it to the people, you know, and that's, that's pretty much the, uh, the game plan. Like I want to, uh, you know, continue, you know, just putting out products that I, I myself enjoy and use so it'll probably be an mct oil at some point and uh you know some kind of like paleo oriented food things like that you know for people who are interested in that sort of stuff that was something i was going to ask you were you just going to stick with the coffee or would you move into like supplements do like something like on it have done and maybe bulletproof have done and kind of branch out a little bit more so you have plans to expand it beyond coffee i think that i'll probably stay away from supplements because that's like a very, that's a whole other level of uh, production that I'm not quite equipped sort of like tech, you know, technologically to get into. But, uh, but as far as like other things, yeah, definitely. I want to do, um, you know, like some paleo snacks, like something that's packaged, you mm-hmm. know, like with, you know, sort of like, you know, dried meat, things like that. And, cool. <laughs> uh, you know, apparel, like mugs, I wanted, you know, stuff that's all that stuff's in the works right now like the summertime comes around i'm I'm planning to do a cold press okay and that's uh you know that that's in the works and you know we got some t-shirts and apparel and stuff um, already up on the website yeah i checked out the website it looks it it looks really cool and i love the the savage gold symbol it looks really cool actually with the bean in the middle that's a thomas hooper design actually yeah thomas hooper uh, he's a new york-based tattoo artist Formerly New York based, currently he lives in Austin, Texas. He moved okay. there about maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And he's worked with you before. He's done our last uh, three LPs as okay. well as uh, 
you know, a slew of uh, t-shirt designs and things like that. Were you inspired then by like companies like uh, Caveman Coffee and say Dave Asprey and Bulletproof to set this up? There seems to be like a maybe um, a kind of a cultural shift to people's thinking about coffee. For years, it kind of got a, a bad rap, you know, and caffeine is bad and stuff. But there seems to be a lot more people, say maybe in like Keith Jardine being an ex UFC fighter and stuff, that these people are promoting as like a almost as a, a healthy drink. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, all those, you know, on it, uh, caveman coffee, bulletproof, that stuff are, you know, those, those companies are huge influences on me. And frankly, the idea really, you know, if it wasn't for like the Joe Rogan podcast, I would never have discovered any of these things. You know, the idea of doing a coffee company though, was something that was never, not really in the forefront of my mind, but sort of like simmering just below the surface and, you know, listening to Dave Asprey and reading Rob Wolf's book, The Paleo Solution. And, you know, I'm a huge Keith Jardine fan, you know, from his days as a fighter, um, you know, the Bulletproof Coffee Company that just sort of slammed the idea home. And in an industry like coffee, there's, you know, there's plenty of room for everyone. And, and I don't, you know, I'm not like, I don't feel competitive with people, you know, and, and I just, uh, at least when, not with this. I, yeah. I, don't, I just think that there's room for everyone to flourish good things and support each other yeah it's funny because i was i I was sitting in like a a doctor's waiting room like four or five months ago and like a local radio station here in cork ireland like we're interviewing dave asprey about about his product and about coffee in particular and about you know the the kind of new um trend of putting butter and mct oil in coffee and i was like whoa this 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 shit is growing you know it's getting into the, the kind of mainstream consciousness in effect yeah, a lot of people are checking it out. Like people are constantly sending me uh, links to articles in you know pretty you know mainstream middle of the road uh, publications that are talking about it like it's a new thing, you know. And that's interesting, and I'm glad because I think that uh, rather than drinking lattes and soy beverages or whatever you get at Starbucks, people can actually enjoy something that's going to help them, you know, have a better day as opposed to like just packing on sugar calories. Yeah, I've tried actually. I have some caveman coffee. I think it's like the dark roast, and I have like uh, some some of the bulletproof MCT oil, and I put some some Kerrygold. It's like Irish grass fed butter, and that's right. Do you you get that over there? Yeah, it seems it seems to be the way to go. I think a lot of people promote the the Irish grass fed butter, but um, maybe we should be proud of that. But uh, I I was I kind of watched um, an interview with Keith Jardine on on YouTube and. You know, I'd heard a little people going on about the butter and the coffee, and I was like, yeah, I, I didn't know it was was it going to have that much of an effect, but man, it actually blew me away. I couldn't believe how how sharp it made me in the morning. Because like, some t- I'm not a huge fan of coffee straight away in the morning, but man, this with the butter and the MCT oil, it just seems to sharpen your brain that much more and give you tons of energy. Absolutely, yeah. you know. And, you know, my years of working construction when I was like a younger guy. Uh, you know, in high school and through college and whatever, I, I'm an early morning guy, you know, black coffee first thing in the morning. So I'm, you know, I'm used to that initial charge, but you know, when you, when you drink it with the butter and the MCT oil, it's like this nice sort of, you know, fade into like the day and you just feel good for a really long time. I was actually listening to a podcast you did with, um, your ex bass player, actually the ex tombs bass player. And he was saying like this, 
he was talking about his training and he said like first thing in the morning he'll just he'll just train on coffee you know and i've tried that i would man i've tried it with the butter coffee and you know it's, it's cool you can do that you know i i have, I have a problem with, with i can't necessarily do that like if i'm if i'm uh like i can get like um like maybe like a weight training in yeah you know? yeah yeah but if I was going to do like jujitsu or like some like Muay Thai rounds or something, I need something in my stomach before I do any of that kind of stuff. Well, I suppose with jujitsu, you leave it all out there. Maybe if you're just doing weight training or stuff yourself, you can kind of monitor yourself a bit more. But I yeah. don't, I don't practice jujitsu myself. But I know people who have done it, and it's like, man, you le- you empty the well in a jujitsu um, session. So yeah, maybe maybe it is better off to to go in yeah. a full stomach. Once you're done with that, the rest of the day is like the volumes turned down on everything else. Yeah, you, know, you handle the rest of the day a lot better. Cool. How long have you been doing jujitsu, man? Uh, probably about four years. Okay. Uh, I've been doing uh, Muay Thai for like maybe five years. Okay. So. But like, prior to that, I did, you know I wrestled, I did Taekwondo, um, I did a little bit of like you know American style boxing, you know, things like that. Cool. Let's talk about tombs for a sec, man. Back to the second um, savage goal theme of the year. It was kind of quite a noticeable change in direction and sound. Um, and I read a lot of the inspiration that came for the album was like related to mortality and death. Was the was the change in sound like a direct result of these experiences, or had you decided before you went in to record it that you wanted to move away from that kind of um reverb and kind of echo drenched sound into a much kind of darker drier sound was that a was that a conscious decision in your part before you went in or did it just kind of naturally evolve in the studio no it was, it was absolutely a conscious decision for us to do that um one, one of the things even though you know i like all of our records but i feel that with all of the effects and the wash of reverb uh, a lot of the details in the music was lost. You know, I mean, if you turned off the delay pedals, and you know the music would sound very similar to what what Savage Gold sounds like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, even live, like I've cut back on my effects board. You know, I only I only use like maybe a little bit of reverb, like a very tight delay, and uh, you know just distortion. And that's about it. And uh, I just wanted something that was a little bit more had a more impact, and uh, the drum you able to hear all the drums and all the little parts and you know, overdubs, everything, you know, would pop out. So, I mean, the, the logical guy to work with for us was Eric Rutan. Um, you know, I think that his work with, uh, you know, Goat Whore and, you know, his work with Hate Eternal and all that stuff sounds amazing. And, um, you know, he's a felt, even though he lives in Florida, he's a, you know, he's a Northeast guy. He's from Jersey and, you know, he, he sort of bonded on that East Coast mentality of uh, just get the job done and work hard. And his work ethic is like, you know, no one works harder than Eric Rutan. So, so yeah, we um we wanted to work with him, and he was familiar with the band. And uh, ever since then, you know, we you know we still text each other all the time. And he was just, we're definitely going to be going with our next album with Rutan as well. Yeah, I read that that you I read it somewhere. Maybe it was on Pitchfork or something that you'd kind of decided, okay, this is the guy for you going forward. This is going to be your producer. Absolutely. And did you record it in Florida in the studio down there? Yep, we went down to Florida, St. Well, Petersburg. M- Mana Studios, is it? Yep, Mana. Yep. I had a look on his website actually earlier. It looks it looks like a really nice, comfortable little space. He's got oh. some cool gear and shit. 
He's got the best gear, man. And also the, the coolest thing about that space is that you would never know that if, if there's anything in the building that he's in because it's like this sort of side street off of like a two lane, you know, sort of, you know, intersection area with like a convenience store and like a landscaping business. And then you drive into this parking lot, you walk down this alleyway and then there's a door that says Mana Studios. Nice. <laughs> and that's it. A nice code. Walk, it's like totally professional, state of the art, you know, recording studio. How long did it take you to record the record? Uh, tracking was about two weeks, and then the mixing process, I would say, was probably another two weeks on top of that. Okay, I, and I read he pushed you guys pretty hard. You had to do a lot of demo work and kind of pre-production before you actually went into the studio. Well, the pre-production, we always do that on our own anyway. Like we're, we're probably going to be doing some demoing of new material uh, after we get back from this tour. But uh, yeah, that's always like, you know, even for songwriting purposes, I'm a big fan of doing full-blown you know, multi-track demos of everything. Uh, but really where Rattan pushed us is in the performance end of things. I mean, he has this impeccable ear for accuracy. And that is the first time I've ever worked with somebody who could push me harder than I can push myself. And I think that that is like a special situation that is going to be a very key element in future projects that we do. That's cool, man. Sometimes you need that um, outside perspective, really, don't you? Um, to, to kind of maybe, like, say, you know, that part isn't good enough or you could do something there or, you know, work harder on this bit. It, it is good to have that, like, external perspective because sometimes you can kind of get lost a little bit. You can write a song and you think, oh, yeah, this is cool in the practice space. But then after a little bit of work in the studio, it can come out a lot better with that external perspective. Yeah, and also, you know, he filled, he helped filter out some of the, you know, overdubs that weren't necessary, and uh, you know, the, nothing structural to the songs was changed, but just some of the layers that we were planning on putting there, uh, you know, he was a good filter because, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, our older material was layer upon layer upon layer of guitar tracks and, you know, noise and atmosphere and these textures and everything. And, and that's cool. And I like those songs and I like atmosphere, but I think that the actual meat and potatoes of the songs may have been lost amongst all that atmosphere. Yeah. I hear you. I actually, it took me a while to tune into the new album. Actually. I, I, I fucking love it. No, but initially I was like, I kind of missed the, the atmosphere a little bit, but the album just kind of grew on me and grew on me. And I, that was probably one of my, it's probably my favorite tombs record. Is it your favorite one that you've recorded so far? My favorite one is the one we're about to record. Oh, nice, <laughs> so, good man. Yeah, no, but I, that, that, out of all the ones that we've done, that's like my proudest achievement, I think. Sweet. I think the drums probably really benefited from the, um, the kind of drawer sound, in a sense. This, they come through a lot, lot more. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree to that because that, that was my biggest beef with all of our older material is that the drums were never really produced the way that I think they should have been produced and the way Andrew, um, who has since, you know, unfortunately Andrew uh, left the band now, but oh, really? I'm, glad was, I'm glad that he was able to capture that before, you know, before he parted with us, you know, fuck man, he was a sick drummer. Have you, have you recruited a new guy? Yeah, we already got a new guy. The, uh. um, yeah, my a good friend of mine, uh, Charlie Schmidt has uh, replaced Andrew and he, he just he did the Paul Bearer tour that we did in the States over here. And he's gonna obviously gonna be joining us in this European run. 
cool. And he's has he got a similar style? Does he play the blast beat and stuff? Or yeah. is he okay? Yeah, he he can he can you know he's just as fast. He's got you know just as good of a double kick feel. And um, you know, there's maybe I would say if if there's any difference in their style, it, uh, you know, Charlie has maybe more of a groove. Okay. Because he he's versed in like, you know, he's like a one of those quintessential drum guys who's like listening to like world music and percussion and all this other stuff. So that is a big influence on the way he plays like metal. So there's, you know, little sort of nerdy things he does within the new songs that are sort of like, you know, paying homage to maybe different styles that aren't necessarily part of like the metal, you know, heavy rock like world. Um, I mean, nothing that sticks out glaringly. Like he has to point them out to me, but it's not like, you know, he breaks into this like reggae beat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. It's you know, kind of like, like, yeah, little flourishes of of variations. It's like stuff that you know he adds to the band. It's kind of nice for someone to come in and be able to do that as well, isn't it? That someone isn't going, no, you got to play it exactly like it was fucking recorded on the record. That someone can come in and like just put his own little signature or his own style and own stamp on the drums and not to be put down for that, you know? No, I don't, I'm not one of those guys who is one of those militant uh, band leaders who's like dictating to everybody what they're supposed to do. I mean, I write the material, but I also leave the songs open to interpretation by the members too. Like I don't, you know, I don't write bass lines and like, okay, here's the bass part. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bass player has to come up with, you know, Ben has to do his own thing. The drums, even though I might have, sometimes I do uh, demos of material just with like a, a drum, like a click track or some very basic program drums sequence. And, you know, here at my apartment and, you know, that might be my initial idea. But then when Charlie or, you know, when Andrew was in the band would get to the, to the material, would, they would add, they would write their own pieces. And sometimes it would vary differently. You know, it'd be like a very different departure than what I initially, you know, or seen the song be and um and it's better and that's what you know that's how it was just organic that way you know what i mean we also have a, a, a another member of the band that we're adding we're adding a fifth member whoa tombs is growing brother <laughs> yeah we've got we've got a, a synthesizer electronics guy that's going to be a full time it is a full-time member of the band and uh he'll be out in this european tour with us and uh you know the new material like he's he's been part of the writing process of the new songs and you know you know once again just like trying to keep expanding and improving and doing different things and growing you know all that stuff keep moving forward brother is he going to um add stuff to the older tunes when you play them live or is it just for no he's already he's already sort of added his own touches on the older material awesome yeah the new set on this tour is about 20 minutes of new material so you know, if, um, probably half of the set is all new, and the rest is. Uh, I think I read or heard somewhere that you're, in, once you release a new record, you you don't really play say stuff from the older one. You kind of just focus on the newer stuff and kind of move forward as opposed to play older stuff. Is that true? Um, to a certain extent, it is. Uh, I mean, you know, we we played a lot of material. We played most of the Savage Gold material over the last year, um, but you know. I learned that move from uh, the Rollins band when, you know, I used to see the Rollins band playing in the 90s and they would be playing mostly unreleased material. <laughs> yeah. It was like, 
you know, like I saw them on the, uh, what was it, the, the hard volume tour or something like that, or a lifetime tour or whatever. And then they were playing like, you know, low self opinion on that tour, which came out like three years later. So they were always like one or two steps ahead of their albums. Kind of keeps um, the punters kind of guessing as well, I suppose. You know, you, you just, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, you know, and, and but you know we're we're um, we're playing some, you know, we're still playing old stuff. We're playing a couple of songs from Path to Totality. We're playing uh, what I consider to be the key songs from from uh, Savage Gold. Okay. And these these uh, you know twenty minutes of these new songs, which are you know obviously to me the more precious material because they're brand new and probably will continue to evolve until we actually record them. So these are. The more or less final versions of the songs, but I, as everything else that we I've done with the band so far, uh, you know, it, that's not to say that we might ch- not change those songs like later on before we actually commit them to the tape. You know? Cool, brother. I'm gonna get a bit of guitar geek for a moment, if you don't mind. Um, I think when you played in Cork, I saw you were using like a, a Les Paul, maybe a black a custom Les Paul through a an old Marshall Plexi. Yeah, um, is that? And then I was watching the, the. There's a video on your media site for your ASG signature guitar, and you were using a Sovtech. Was that a Mig 100 or a Mig 50 or something? That was a Mig 100. Nice, badass amp. Is that your main amp? No, actually, <laughs> uh, all the, the the gear you saw us playing in Cork was the Secrets equipment, because uh, you know we shared. The oh yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. But the uh, that's a that was a great amp. Like you know, Michael has great great equipment, so I'm glad that you know we were able to like you know work with those guys on that tour. My main setup here in the states is uh, I use a uh, Music Man HD 130 and uh, a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier. Okay. Uh, you know, sort of you know AB channel stereo type thing. Nice. And uh, you know, and together that that's been sort of the configuration I've been using for you know. I don't know, like the last seven or eight years. I think nice. that I'd like to get a JCM 800, though, to replace the, uh, the music. Man, I have a, a JCM or JCM 800 myself. You know what I do? It's like a 1982-203. Man, those fucking things are monsters. Like, they're so sharp and piercing, but, man, they're a very definitive sound. Great amp. Definitely. Yeah, those, that was the good era of those heads, too. Yeah. Um, you know, they reissued them later and they just weren't as good. I think they've brought out the 2203X now and, like, they've got a like a, a built-in effects loop and stuff, but, man, they're going for s- serious fucking money as well. I think, like, like, two grand to buy them new, but I picked up the old one off of um, eBay. But, yeah, they're they're an awesome amp. Really worth checking out. Yeah, that definitely, man. Did you just so when you recorded Savage Gold? Did you just use um, did you use the Mesa Boogie and the the Music Man, or did you f- fuck around with a load of different amps in studio? Yeah, we used a lot of Rattan's equipment down there. Um, you know, we, we brought all of our gear, but we just like got sounds with whatever was available that would fit and sounded best. You know, so, I mean, all of our gear is like, you know, it's like touring equipment. It's been like beaten up, and you know, is uh. Sounds great live, but like when you put it under scrutiny, there's there's all these little the noises and the hisses and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we just wanted to do have like a clean, very pro sounding recording this time around. Yeah, it definitely came off sounding really professional. It's really clear sound. It's great work. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Man. In terms of guitar players, I think one of your most recent posts on uh, everything in black media, which I'll talk about in a sec, but was um, the first time you heard Black Sabbath. Was yeah. was Tony Iommi a, a big inspiration for you, guitar-wise? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's probably the biggest inspiration, really. I mean, I, I for talk metal about, in general, probably, you know, for... Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, probably next to him, it's Greg Ginn for Black Flag, my two main, main guys. But Iommi had that sound, that tone. Um, most of his guitar solos, you could play with two fingers, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he only had two full fingers, yeah. didn't he? Well, he had this, his, he had like the tips of his fingers. He lost them in some sort of industrial accident, you know? And yeah, so he, his riffs, they just sounded so evil. And like I was saying, I think in that, that piece I wrote, like at the time I was, you know, I was into like Zeppelin and, you know, ACTC and, you know, Judas Priest and all that stuff. And, I, and I'd heard uh, Heaven and Hell. Okay. Which it's a very very different Black Sabbath album than the earlier records. You know, it's like it's closer to like what I would think like Rainbow or you know, like Scorpions or UFO would sound like. You know, more more in that sort of heavy metal arena. And then when I I went to my my buddy's house, I heard like the real Sabbath, and it scared the shit out of me. I was yes. like, what <laughs> the fuck is this dude? I didn't even know if I liked it. I was like terrified. <laughs> I was like a young kid, you know. I didn't, I didn't never heard anything like that. And um, it kind of grew out of a very dark place, though, as well. You know, Birmingham, England, yeah. and that kind of late sixties, early seventies. I don't think it was a very happy place to be. It was no, no, no. And uh, yeah, I've been to Birmingham. You know, Bir- Bir- yeah, Birmingham. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a dark place. It's an industrial. It reminds me of Newark, New Jersey. Sort of, you know, it's like very. Uh, it has this rundown vibe to it, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can get like a really cheap apartment there, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, but yeah, that early Sabbath stuff is like, I mean, you can, I think you can hear it in our music still, you know. I think. Mm. Yeah, I think you can probably hear it in elements of most metal bands, you know, because the Sabbath have that, you know, they 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 probably were the the innovators of that sound, you know. So. Yeah. You know, and and the thing is, like a lot of there's a lot of sort of stoner doom bands that claim Sabbath as their main influence, but they they have like this kind of good times roll, like you know, rock and roll vibe. But Sabbath just had this like, you know, like when you first hear Ozzy singing, like you're like where'd they find this guy? Like, yeah, no. They just some guy that grabbed off the street and put a microphone in his hand and like go to town, dude, go for it. <laughs> yeah. And I, and that's what I love about it. It's like he doesn't have a great voice, but he just kicks ass and he just does it. You know, Naomi sounds like a guy who probably can only. I mean, I know this isn't true, but it it sounds very sort of uh, like the limitations of his abilities are dictating the music he's making. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's something that just for me, especially because I don't consider myself to be like you know some sort of virtuoso. Like I feel I'm very limited what I could do on the guitar too but so I think that mentality kind of stayed with me my whole life from listening to the early Black Sabbath yeah I think uh, yeah I, I know what you mean because sometimes even if you jam with guitar players who are like shredders and stuff and you're yeah. like fuck man I, <laughs> I'm nowhere near that good but sometimes beauty can grow out of that simplicity as well and I find sometimes that like some of the simpler riffs it can just be more timeless than like a shredder solo you know 
Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I like I like a lot of shred stuff too. I mean, I like you know, I mean, I like all kinds of stuff, and you know, I like super technical death metal, but you know, I don't. That's not the kind of thing I personally would would play. Even if I could shred, I still don't think I would be moved to create music like that. I hear you. Well, how was your um? How did the signature um, ASG guitar come about? You know, that's a really good question, and uh, I I kind of don't really remember how that whole thing came around. I just remember um, that was a few years ago at this point, and I want to say that uh, we were working with this PR company and. The opportunity to do that sort of came through them, and then we were just like, "Oh yeah, you know, let's uh, let's do it. It sounds cool." Like we got one guitar out of it, and you know, it it was just uh, I wanted to see something you know creative out there with like a nice, interesting artwork piece on it, and you know, it, it's like a feather in our hat. I think it's kind of neat. You know? Man, it's I think it's it's. Um a good tip of the hat for to any guitar player you know if someone if a company bills you a guitar it's like if someone made me a guitar i'd be like fuck what are you yeah. doing you know but i'd be i'd be i'd be seriously chuffed i met um uh ryan patterson actually yeah you know, good friend ryan. yeah yeah i listened to that podcast and i think you were saying in that podcast with ryan that you were kind of intimidated by your new guitar player and that you weren't a great that you felt like you weren't at that level of guitar pro is so to speak but i'm not i'm not nearly as good as garrett, garrett well garrett garrett's actually not in the band anymore we isn't he jesus so who is in the band though uh named evan and he's uh he's also a, a pretty you know ridiculous like solo guy you know which is cool that, that's actually kind of cool like we have you know we have guitar solos in our songs now too which is kind of interesting nice nice but garrett garrett is like light years ahead of me in technique and ability so i mean I'll stand by that that statement. You, know? you still gotta write those riffs for him to build on, though. You know, so all those riffs are the foundation for for the music, in a sense. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. Like I'm yeah. more, of, you know, I'm more of a songwriter, like Jim Croce sort of dude. You know, like writing, you know, expressing my feelings, like that. That's cool. You know. <laughs> yeah, man, go for it. Yeah, but Ryan had a guitar made. I can't remember the name of the company, you no, know, but I know the company. Oh, it was First Act, actually. Okay. First, first act made a, a series of guitars like i think they make like cheap ass guitars but then they just made a shitload of like really nice high-end guitars and ryan had one and i think uh, kurt ballo in converge has one and there's a whole series of really nice guitars but man it's yeah. it's kind of nice f- f- it's it's a nice um like i said a tip of the hat for a company to go you know we made you this here you know yeah, it's fun. You know, we, I think the artwork on it's cool. Like my friend Mike Wahlberg, um, who's done a bunch of different art for us in the past, uh, did that, you know, that, that piece that was on the guitar. So when you go out on tour, how long will you be out on tour in Europe, Mike? Uh, it's just under three weeks. Okay. And where are you covering? Um, let's see. You know, like the typical places like Germany, uh, Netherlands, the UK... We're going out to Hungary, a couple of Eastern European dates. So um, the whole tour package is uh, us, Black Anvil, and uh, I think it's a Dutch band called Teeth Grinder. And um, the, sh- the, tour, the show in Budapest is with uh, Behemoth and Bolzer, which I'm really excited about. Because, nice. Uh, you know, I love Behemoth. I wonder, is that um, Teeth Grinder, um, a kind of, is that name attributed to therapy? Do you remember therapy? 
They band. were an Irish. Yeah, they had a song, Teeth Grinder. Yeah, I saw. I saw them with Tad. Oh, really? Yeah. Fucking old school. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, could be, man. For all I know, yeah. I, I don't know much about them. I just know that they're, you know, they're on the tour with us, and um, you know, they're. I'm sure. I'm sure it's gonna be cool. Does um. Does touring, do you enjoy touring or do you, is there a part of you that fucking, you know, is it just something you kind of have to do to promote the, promote the record, you know, like. Yeah, I, I love touring, I yeah. love traveling, I love having adventure in my life and, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, I fancy myself this like sort of, uh, you know, road guy. Nice. You know, kind of like Chris Christopherson and, you know. An explorer. <laughs> like when it's like, you know, he's like like outlaw guys who travels everywhere and rides, you know, you know, I, don't, I imagine myself with like a, you know, a duster and a horse. <laughs> yeah, man, you should ride into a gig on a horse some stage. Yeah, like the High Plains Drifter, a Clint Eastwood sort of character, you yes. know, like traveling the earth, you know, that's, that's kind of how I like to view myself. <laughs> <laughs> does, but, uh, uh, does there any part of you that kind of annoys you, you might miss a lot of your training or do oh. you? absolutely yeah. i mean that's like the worst thing is when you come back from being on tour and then you have your first couple of days you're back fucked. on yeah you're just useless you know and your cardio sucks and you're weak and, i mean no matter there's it's just impossible at, at, to to do that to keep in shape like that on tour yeah i, mean, I try you know i do do push-ups but you just don't have like you can't spar with people and even if i gotta be honest with you even if like even if I were to go into a town and drop in, into a gym or something like that, I don't think I would have the resources physically to get much out of like a, like training, like a jiu-jitsu session or whatever. Um, Plus, if you've just you know, played a show the night before and you've driven like fucking yeah. a couple of hundred miles, you're not going to be worth fucking anything. If the, unless it was like a day off. But like I said, even then, it's like if you miss like a couple of days of training, like a week of training, you're 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 starting you're you're out of shape basically after three days you're, you're out of shape and it's not like something you can bring on tour with you from the states like a kettlebell or something you know a 24 well, kg bell in the, in the states i bring like a kettlebell and like a jump rope and you know um you know like a medicine ball and things like that but i don't you can't i mean you can jump rope for like nine minutes but then that's way different than sparring with somebody for know. three minutes probably a lot yeah, more intense rounds or whatever or do or even doing like pads like just kicking pads is harder than just jumping rope and yeah i imagine a lot of people might struggle with that i remember hate breed came to play cork fuck me it must be 12 15 years ago and i think um uh, the bass player i can't think of his name now right now but i think in his rider he wanted like the use of a gym before the show and kind of makes sense man people want to fucking stay stay in, in relatively in shape you know yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I do what I can. Like I said, you know, I, if, if we stay at a hotel that has a gym, I might go down to there, the gym, to check it out. But usually there's nothing really useful there. And, uh, do you enjoy touring Europe? I do because it's completely different than touring in the States. And that's why I like it over there. So, In what you know. sense? How is it different, man? Well, the thing, I'm one of those like typical American savages that <laughs> only speaks English, you know, so... <laughs> There's when a few of us. <laughs> You'd fit you know, in well in Ireland. Yeah, you know, I, I, I every year I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, I want to get one of those like Rosetta Stone things and learn like, you know, French or German or whatever, you know, and and I never, I just, it always just falls by the wayside, you know. And I, I, 
it's it's easy to not speak anything but English in the United States, you know. And uh, so one of the things that's really cool is like, you know, if we have time in a city, I like to just go off after some dead time and just kind of be around people and not know what they're talking about. I think that's really cool. Yeah, just man. Kind of be somewhere by yourself and having no idea what their conversations are about, which is, you know, living in a city like New York, you're always in the midst of other people's sort of energy fields and you're always overhearing conversations and phone calls and, you know, so none of that stuff is, is within my consciousness when I'm overseas in Europe and, you know, I enjoy that aspect of it. And then just also, you know, everyone's different, man. You go, you go to different countries and they just, everyone's slightly different, you know, like, like the Irish and the English are different. The Swedes are different than the Germans, the Germans, you know, they're different than the Finns. You know, the, the Belgians are different, you know, the French are definitely different, you know, and you go to Eastern Europe and they're, they have a different, like, you know, culturally everything's different, you know, and I like that. Yeah. It helps you. Like there are people that I know personally that have never even really left New York City. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. And certain people like to stay put over here. And I think that that's like a very, very, uh, crucial mistake that people make. And it really gets in the way of their development. And, you know, no one, and forget about leaving, just leaving the city. Forget about going abroad. You know, I know so many people have never traveled outside of the country. And I think that going to other countries gives you a, a very good perspective, a very different perspective on life and how, and also on the country that you live in and sort of broadens you as a person. Yeah, it's nice to get that outside perspective of home, you know, you kind of start to see things a little bit differently. And yeah, it's cool to keep that in mind, you know. Yeah, definitely. New York is crazy. I've only ever made it to New York once and I've been to the States a bunch of times. But man, it's so intense and compact. And I think I was there in maybe July and it was fucking hot as hell, man. I look like I look like the most Irish asshole in New York as I was walking down fucking pale and sweating like crazy it's it's an intense little environment yeah it's it's um it's a bit much sometimes and uh you know i i uh it's it's really hard to keep um yourself centered in a city like this and uh you know people uh go out the deep end frequently in this city uh because it's a struggle just to sort of pay your bills and get your your rent together every month uh, everything's really expensive here and you know it's um you know then there are people are living on top of you and that's kind of just being around like that many primates is like kind of i think uh creates like this sort of negative like energy a lot of times here and uh <clears throat> with that said you have to do a lot of work on your own to, to keep your mind centered and you know not allow that stress to build up and affect you on a negative level you know and it takes extra work and extra time to, to achieve that i think in a city like this i think it's funny some of those big cities you know that, that you can feel so anonymous around so many people that you could actually feel quite lonely around so many people you know like everywhere you turn there's like fucking loads and loads of people but yet you could feel really alone and isolated you know it's yeah definitely i mean i i, I relate to that um quite a bit and i think i was actually having this very same conversation about loneliness and living here like just this week with somebody and uh 
I mean, the, the really creepy thing about it is like, you know, I live in this apartment. And, I mean, I, li- I live in Brooklyn, so I don't, okay. it's not quite like living in Manhattan. You know, it's, there aren't big buildings here. It's like a very, uh, I think, you know, like four or five stories. Like I live in like a, a four story house, basically. Okay. Sort of low house or lack of a better term. But, you know, if I like poked a hole in that wall, there's someone else there. Yeah. You know, that's only 10 feet away from me. <laughs> and, like, that's like, I'm so close to another person, but I have no idea about them or what they're doing or who they are. I don't even know that person. Yet we're like spatially very close together. And um, that's just like when you think about those things, uh, how you're surrounded by people like in all directions right now, it's, it's, it's a pretty intense like sort of you know, mind trip. And, and I just think like, you know, we're not really meant to be living in these sort of environments. Yeah. I think that it's better to have more space and less people around you. And, you know, it's not a struggle for resources or anything. I think that whole kind of isolation thing kind of grew a little bit in Ireland as well, because I grew up in rural Ireland and it's kind of environment that everyone knows everything and everyone. And then I think there was like, so-called economic prosperity for the last maybe from like maybe 2000 to 2006 2007 and everyone went crazy and started fucking spending crazy money in houses and buying fucking cars and blah 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 but a lot of people were buying houses and like massive estates you know like but nobody knew each other you know there wasn't a sense of community there wasn't like a neighborhood as such it was just like a large bunch of people living in a kind of content space and everyone kind of shuffling off and doing their own thing but not like really contributing to anything other than their own little whatever you know 12 meters by 12 meters it's it's a funny concept man I, i'm not I, I'm, I don't, I'm not really into that no i'm not into it really at all and uh i mean only i mean i've lived in cities i, I didn't grow i didn't grow up or or was I, I didn't, wasn't born or nor did I grow up in New York City. I grew up like sort of in the suburbs, you know, with trees and more of a rural environment. But most of my adult life, I've, actually all of my adult life, I've lived, in, I've lived in cities. You know, I lived in Boston for a number of years and now New York. Um, and uh, I'm just now getting, coming around to the idea of not living in a city and how that would probably enhance my life alleviate some of the negativity in my life as well so yeah it's 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 a hard you know grind here you know what i mean yeah man would you hope to go like to go live in a suburb or would you like to to go like rural and live as far Um, away from the city as possible well one, one of the nice things about new york state is that there are a number of smaller cities and larger towns Mm. uh, that are maybe not even 50 miles away from that are uh, really cool. I mean, there's one particular town. Um, it's, it's called Beacon, New York. It's right on the Hudson River. And do you, are you familiar with Alex Gray, the artist? No, I'm not actually. Oh, Alex Gray is like this sort of psychedelic, uh, you know, art guy, spiritual, you know, sort of guy. You okay. Know, like Allison, they have a compound. Uh, it's called Cosm, and it's located in a, in a city called Wappingers Falls, which is like upstate New York, which is not too, actually, neither one of those places are very far away from where I grew up in upstate New York. It's not even really upstate New York. It's only like a hundred, like maybe 60 miles away. So it's not upstate. 
But um, when, I, when we were mastering uh, Savage Gold, I was uh, talking to Alan Duchess, the engineer that we've always worked with all of our records. And I was explaining to him how I'm losing my mind here and I, I you know, I want to murder people. And I feel <laughs> like I'm going to either kill someone or kill myself, really, you know, do like go nuts or start shooting people, you know, whatever. Like, and how I, you know, wanted to get out of the city. Yeah, that you don't want to go shooting people if you start having those thoughts. It's like, maybe yeah. I should get the fuck out, you know. So, so I was telling him that I wanted to move to Wappinger's Falls. He questioned me as to why that particular town. And I said, well, Ace Freely lives there from Kiss, and Alex Gray lives there. And I figured I'd fit somewhere in the middle of Ace Freely. <laughs> so, um, you know, so then he said, you know what? You should check out this town, Beacon. And, uh, and I remember Beacon, but, you know, I mentioned earlier I worked construction. Beacon was a town that we did a construction project in, and it was like a total ghetto. It was like dudes hanging out during the day, uh, you know, drinking beer on a weekday. And like, uh, you know, I remember one house had like a cement weight set out front, you know, and like, <laughs> and it was just like, I, I'm like, really, you know, I remember like years ago that place being kind of, kind of gnarly, you know, and, and, um, he's like, Oh no, 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 no. In the last like 15 years ago, this, um, someone, someone with a lot of money came through there and they, they put a museum the Dia Beacon. It's like some, you know, intense like art museum. Okay. And the area is now like completely flourishing, you know. So so um over the last year or so I've been doing a lot of visiting up there and I've you know hung out at Alex Gray's compound and, you know, checked out some of his full moon ceremonies and, you know, kind of absorbed that area and like reconnected to that um region in New York. And uh you know, it's not that far away from the city. It actually took me one hour and fifteen minutes to drive from there back to my apartment here. Well, that's so, that's not bad at all. But it's it's worlds away from this vibe here. You know, you know, and, and there's places to train out there, and, and it's cool. You know, it's it's a good, you know, pretty cool spot. It's like low stress and that kind of thing. Do you get a, a sense of community out there that you don't get in New York? I think that that kind of thing is available because. Beacon is, is kind of like an arts, you know, art, artsy sort of place. And there's always, you know, just walking around, I saw that there's like all these like functions and stuff going on out there. But then, then again, I don't know how well me personally would really fit in to, you know, that kind of crunchy, you know, uh, vegan friendly, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm like totally open to whatever people want to do. But I mean, I'm not exactly that guy either, but mm. I'm definitely not the guy trying to make it in New York anymore. Okay. That's, that's a different thing. And when you moved to New York, did you did you move with the plan like of like making it as such? You know, did you No, not, no, I, I was never one to come down here and make it because those no one makes it with that attitude. I came down here because there was, you know, my family was here and I was living in Boston. You know, family, I have family like all throughout like New Jersey, New York, Long Island, like that, you know, whole region. And, um, you know, and, and I came here to be around those people and friends, people I grew, you know, people I knew from my life. And, and also I wanted to play music and there was opportunities to do, um, you know, work down here in the recording field and, and that kind of thing. And I was really interested in pursuing a career in that industry when I moved down here. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, within a year or two of moving here, that industry kind of dried up, really, you know, with, like, all the 
was like free software and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, so I, I mean, I, I I'm not like coming down here with these aspirations to be you know like on American Idol or whatever. I just came down here because it was like a cool city at the time, and now the whole time it's sort of degenerated into a city for rich people and um, people who are buying into this idea of what things used to be like, but they're no longer like that. Mm. You know, New York isn't, isn't it, it, despite what most people might think, it's not really a, a creative place. In some ways, um, it's more of a mercantile city. You know, it's more built around you know, banking and, mm. and real estate and, uh, you know, international uh, you know, people like coming here with a lot of money and buying property and buildings and whatnot um so yeah it's, it's for like rock stars and movie stars and people with a lot of money and you know bankers and that kind of trip and everyone doing something creative is all kind of marginalized and pushed out and you know it's not even really any fun to play in the city anymore because cbgb's is gone and mm. the only mainstay from the old days is a place called abc no rio uh which is like an all-ages uh you know collective and they have, you know, they have punk shows there, hardcore shows. And, you know, Tombs has played there a couple times over the years. And, uh, you know, that that's like one of the only things left from like what people would think of New York being uh, from, you know, the 90s or whatever. Yeah. And everything now is all just about like, you know, selling booze and, you know, getting you know, sponsors and stuff like that. You know? It's kind of sad, man. It seems to be a trend in the kind of, the kind of modern day capitalist thinking of, Everything seems to be, even in the news here, it's like all about the markets, the markets, the markets. And you're like, fuck me, is there anything else to talk about besides the fucking markets? You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, one of a bit, the band I was in prior to Tombs is a band called Anodyne. We, we briefly had a practice space in, in Manhattan, which was a, kind of a nightmare. But uh, we all lived in Brooklyn, and our practice space was in Manhattan. And it made doing gigs like very, very challenging at times. Because we had to, you know, drive into the city, get our equipment, and then leave. Because you know we very often played out out of town. Um, but like the bands we shared the space with were all like these like regular bands. Like they weren't metal or hardcore or punk or whatever. They were guys trying to get like a big record deal. You know what I mean? It was like, and there's a very vibrant scene in Manhattan of people who are like showcasing all the time for you know some manager or whatever and um that, those those bands were all part of that that trip you know they they were constantly trying to um you know get recognition for their band and tailor their sound to be popular and all this kind of stuff and and i remember like one guy like read something in spin magazine about the band anodyne that i played in and and he thought we were like he's like I read about you guys in Spin. You, know, you guys are really important or something. I'm like, no. I mean, we're just like a band that plays a lot. It tries to be, you know, prolific creatively and make music we like and travel and tour and do all those things. And that's what happens when you do those things. People sometimes take notice of that rather than trying to, you know, provide something as just content for people to consume. Um, that is not coming from the heart, you know what I mean? And that, that was kind of, that's kind of the environment, you know, in, in the city, in New 
New York, Manhattan, if you will. Um, and I just feel like that's that's kind of like a lot of what people are trying to do here. And it's, um, you know, it's just very, uh, you know, it, it just sort of saps your, your, your good vibes, you know what I mean? And, and makes you uninterested in things. There's a great metal scene here, though, honestly. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing. There's a lot of great metal, metal bands here. And, you know, punk bands, and there's always, you know, the New York hardcore scene is vibrant still. And, and of course, uh, there's a great venue out here in Brooklyn called St. Vitus, which is, um, you know, kind of like our, our, our home. You know, we play there all the time. You know, not all the time, but, like, most of our local shows when we play there are, are at St. Vitus. It's cool that there are still some venues left, you know, that it's kind of mad to think that New York, probably the biggest city in the world, or one of the biggest cities of the world, you, you know that you're not falling over metal venues you know that are not on every corner it's kind of mad to think that way but i read somewhere as well that um it was quite did you say that it was quite hard to even kind of infiltrate that cbgb scene that it was it wasn't as easy to play gigs there as one might perceive when it was open yeah like if you if you were from the outside <clears throat> it's very, it was very hard <clears throat> to play on the right show you know, unless you knew a promoter. So, I mean, if you wanted to play CBs, basically, if, if you, you know, you can get a show, you can send a demo to CBGBs, but you might end up playing, a, you know, a variety gig with like a ska band, and, you know, a rockabilly group or something, you know, like a, some electro clash like thing, you know, and then your bands. Uh, and there'll be like five people there or like maybe 20 people will show up to see the electro band. It's all their friends and they leave. Because you're from out of town, you go on last at like two o'clock in the morning, and it's a, it's not good for anybody. And you've spent you know hundreds of dollars on fuel and parking and you know food and get it you get a ticket and all that kind of stuff. So you know it's it's not it's all unless you knew who was doing the shows. Like there was like a couple of guys over the years that were promoters that did you know there was Ralphie Boyd, this guy from from uh, this band Disassociate. He put on tons of great metal shows. Like he had, he had man as the bastard play there. And, you know, he was like old school, like from way back in the day guy, like Tyler King was another promoter. He did mostly hardcore stuff, but, uh, you know, like, you know, stark weather, kissing goodbye, like that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, a, a good friend of mine, Rich Hall put on tons of shows. Like that was when ISIS would play at CBs like nice. a long time ago and converge and bands like that. Like he promoted all those shows. And, uh, so, I mean, unless you, like, networked your way into that circle, uh, it was kind of a waste of time to play there, honestly. Okay. I know that might be, like, you know, contrary to the, the sort of rosy idea that CBs was, like, this mecca for independent music. You know, it really, I mean, yeah, it, it was. You can get a gig there, but you're not going to, you know, go down there, and it's not going to be, like, you know, the way John Joseph talks about it, and his, you know, writings or whatever um most likely it's going to be a waste of your time really you know but um but yeah i mean there there venues in the city in the new york area are you know there's there's two really solid venues in brooklyn the acheron and st vitus okay you know a lot for for like a band like our size and and then of course like the huge shows always come to manhattan you know like behemoth and watane play there and bigger shows, you know, Morbid Angel, like that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it's still a very vibrant, like, metal scene, but the overall 
environment of music here is kind of like not so great really oh really yeah I maybe it's um maybe it's a common enough thing that there's so many tv and talent shows and they're just selling a particular type of package now that maybe it's harder for for other bands to kind of gestate and create their own thing you know and yeah. have venues to play in let's move on to another um string in your bow mike everything in black media when did this come about i think i've been doing this for like uh, maybe five years maybe really so, yeah it was like shortly after i started doing tombs maybe six years it was a while it was kind of a while into doing the band i started doing these like blog podcast you know things and uh the video portion hasn't quite manifested the way that I wanted it to. And I'm trying to work on that this year. Okay. But, um, but yeah, you know, the podcast, I think it's a really interesting medium. And, um, you know, long-form conversations and things like that, I think, are really interesting. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done quite a bit of, like, writing and interviewing for, you know, like Brooklyn Vegan and Visible Oranges and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've sort of had my feet wet in talking to people. So I just, you know, you know, Joe Rogan and Howard Stern have been probably my biggest influences on trying to do like a, like a show, I guess. Cool. I think Rogan has probably influenced a lot of people in that sense. Uh, there was a there's a podcast in London called London Real, and they yeah. did a really good one with Dan Hardy once. Um, it was the first one of their shows that I saw. And I was like, fuck me, this is a really cool medium you know i was like i'm okay. sold on this you know yeah i've listened to that i i uh i i was a subscriber to london real and then when uh the, the guy um nick gabriel when he parted there used to be two guys that's now right it's, yeah it's one dude. i think nick yeah. was his jujitsu instructor yeah he's like a jujitsu black belt and um i think the two of those guys together because they had very different personalities were worked really well and then when Nick left. I, I hung in there for like maybe, you know, six or seven months. And then, I don't know, like eventually I just kind of lost interest. In yeah. Did you see that Dan Hardy episode actually? Or did yes. you? I, mean, how, I love Dan Hardy. You know, yeah. So yeah. Saw that one. <laughs> Man, what a cool motherfucker. Dan Hardy. I think he's, is he going back fighting again at 155 or something? I, I haven't heard that, but like, uh, I think he's, you know, putting together a nice career in the, the sort of, uh, you know, commentary side of MMA. Yeah, he segued quite well into that. Actually, he works really well on TV. Yeah, a lot of those guys, Kenny Florian. You know, he's 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 doing really well as like in the commentary, commentating you know aspect of things. Yeah, good on them. Hardy's got a great personality for that too. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I was kind of amazed, um, you know, how open he was about taking psilocybin mushrooms and stuff and using yeah. that stuff in a much healthier way than one might imagine taking trips you know and um i kind of, I, I think i read somewhere that you it was something that you were kind of delving into a little bit as well the psychic psychedelic exploration yeah. absolutely yeah. i mean i've gone deeply into that over the last few years and um you know it's uh you know i've always been a, a reader of you know like graham hancock and Terrence McKenna and all these guys. And, uh, you know, so my, I've always been sort of, uh, you know, in that sort of mindset. Uh, and then, and I, I've had experiences with psychedelics, like, you know, when I was very young too. And then I revisited it, you know, like maybe six you know, years ago again. And 
it's like it's not something like you know I do every weekend, obviously, but it's like you know every year, maybe two years go by, and it's the kind of thing that you, you use to sort of uh, reset your, your consciousness a little bit and explore things. And, yeah. I think, um, yeah, when I was watching that or listening to that Dan Hardy interview, I was amazed about how, how structured he was about the whole thing, you know, that he would he would set up a comfortable space and he'd set a time and he'd have, like, food and then he would do his trip and he'd have, like, once he'd come out of it, he'd have, like, kettlebells set up and he'd do a little workout afterwards. And it was, like, really structured and it seemed to benefit him. I, it kind of opened my eyes. I've never never taking psychedelics or anything but i was like maybe there's something here maybe it's not i'm thinking i'm glad i didn't take them at a younger age because i probably would have taken from the wrong reason just to get fucked up you know but yeah. i think yeah. if i was going to do something now i'd be like you know that i would take that approach and you know experience it for a good reason not and not just to get fucked up you know yeah i mean that's you know when i was younger i did it just to have an experience and check it out you know but but later like now it's like i looked at it as more of a tool yeah you know? You know, because, I mean, you get stuck in your own sort of head about a lot of stuff and, and you, you get very uh, singular about your viewpoints on the world and, you know, and your relationships with other people uh, are very uh, subjective, you know, and I think doing some kind of um, psychedelic experience helps you get have a more ob- objective viewpoint on some of these things. Yeah. And it helps me. It helps you. Like you know, it's helped me. I mean, I, I, I've never been like so great at personal relationships with people, and you know, like uh, that whole world has always escaped me a little bit. And I think psychedelics have helped me uh, manage that a little bit better. Did you? Do you have trouble connecting with a lot of people? Um. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's like. Uh, I mean, yes, and to some extent, yes. But I have like some a very small circle of people that um, I'm very close with, you know. But in general, like to have like a true link with somebody, I find that very hard to do at times. I think as you get older as well, I think the um, the circle of people that you trust and support you, it kind of gets smaller and tighter, you know. And you really start to go, okay, these are like the four or five people that that I want to be around with, you know. These these are important to me, you know. You kind of yeah. lose the acquaintances and just fucking strengthen the, the true friendships. Yeah, and also there there are some people just out there in my I know in my life there are people that uh, I was realizing that certain people were were always in the negative world and you know and really a lot of it is perspective because as much as like things suck sometimes there's there's a lot of good things that happen in life and you know I found myself gravitating more into this like negative headspace when I started being around certain people that only saw the bad things and always wanted to criticize things and always wanted to talk about other people and their shortcomings as opposed to talking about positive things or some of the good things other people do and that I just found myself distancing myself from people like that uh, and it helped me because you know I just wanted to keep good positive things around me helps my life in general you know, to, to move forward yeah yeah man no one wants to be around those people i read and there was um a woman here dr maureen gaffney she wrote a book and just one of the things she had mentioned in it was like the power of the negative is five times stronger than positive you know and it was kind of cool to kind of put a number on it almost it's like 
but it, it's really easy to be negative. You know, you kind of have to work on being positive. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and it's like I look at it as a weakness, really. And, and my, for me personally, I, I, I hate weakness, and I want to continue to like extract weakness out of my life. And being positive is hard, and I always take the difficult path through things because I find that I get more value out of it. Are you in um, a positive space right now? Are you feeling good about everything that's going on in your life? Yeah, I mean, I feel good about my life. I mean, I feel good that there's a lot of great things going on in my life. However, you know, there's always challenges and conflicts and obstacles. And, you know, even this European tour, there's like a lot of obstacles surrounding it. And primarily, it has to do with, uh, you know, our booking agent and, you know, some logistical issues that we're going through right now. And, but that's, we're going to get through it just like everything yeah it'll all be once you get on stage and start playing some killer venues it'll be like you'll forget all about, about all that yeah once, once i get on the plane i'll be fine everything's cool you know yeah are you looking forward to ufc 185 <laughs> yeah it's gonna be fun man it's tomorrow night yeah man uh, yeah i'm gonna watch the weigh-ins there's a tonight's a cool night because there's a there's some boxing on tonight and then i was gonna, I'm gonna watch probably watch the weigh-ins on fight fight pass okay and, cool you know and Pettis is, is a, you know, the guy's a machine. He's a killer, man. Jesus Christ. And um, I always like watching him fight because he has the, you know, he's a Taekwondo background. And I like those crazy, like, spinning kicks and everything. It'll be interesting to see how Hendrix, um, is he fighting Matt Brown tomorrow night? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's going to be a brawl, really. I mean, because even though Hendrix was the champ, you know, I don't really consider him. I mean, I, I like Johnny Hendricks, but I, I don't consider him like a champion. Though, you know, what I mean? like he martial arts technique wise. I mean, he's a great wrestler, and he has some boxing skills in, for MMA at least. But really, his his stand up ability was mainly just that that punch that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that last fight against Robbie Lawler, I saw him throw a few leg kicks, and I thought that was kind of you know they're they're cool, you know. But like, you know, leg kicks are things like. You know, anyone can throw a leg kick, really. I mean, like, they're great. They're effective. Getting kicked in the legs is no fun. And, Jose Aldo uh, being a fucking leg kick machine. Leg kick machine, you know. And, you know uh, but I just feel like he needs more tools to work with other than his wrestling and grappling. When You know, he's a great wrestler. And I think that his jiu-jitsu is starting to come along as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I the wrestlers always seem to have, like, like that same style of fighting, you know what I mean? Where it's like they take guys down and they just beat them up. You know, there's no, they don't have a lot of stand up and like they're not really good in the clinch and, and like, you know, that I, I want to, I mean, me as a fan, I want to see more technique, you know? And I think that um, that's why I was never really a huge Johnny Hendricks fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, don't want to see two guys go out there and just brawl. Who, who's your favorite fighter out there at the moment? Do you have any, any guy in particular? Besides Conor McGregor, I know you're a huge Conor McGregor <laughs> fan. <laughs> um, I, I like Rory McDonald a lot. Yeah, he's cool. Once again, he's he's a guy who's got he's all technique, you know. And his approach to fighting, I think, is really interesting. Where he is looking at it as a problem for him to solve, you know. And I like that. It's like this sort of composed technical issue that he's trying to deal with. I like him. I like T.J. Dillashaw quite a bit. I'm a big Cowboy Cerrone fan. He's the coolest motherfucker in MMA, isn't he? Oh, yeah. The fight, he, he would fight every day if he could, man. Um, 
Yeah, I like Ian McCall. Like he's an he's a funny. He's okay, a great the mustache, Doctor yeah, Creepy, really mustachioed. Yeah. Like, um, I like. I think technically as a fighter, I like John Jones. And I just think that he's got some personality issues he has to work out, but I think he's great. You know, I used to love George St. Pierre when he was around. Um, Do you think yeah. um, Rumble Johnson will pose much much of a threat to um, John Jones? Yeah. I think that. I don't. I think that Rumble Johnson is going to be a problem for John Jones. But then again, who the hell knows? I mean, like everyone, you know, like I think that he's a guy that can knock him out. Like he's been knocking people out, like left and right. So if he can get inside on John Jones, I think I think there's a good chance of John going to sleep that night. I think Gustafsson got a quite a, a surprise. I think the whole Swedish crowd got a bit of a surprise in that yeah. Gustafsson Johnson fight because. Man, Johnson just looks like a fucking killer. Did he fight at a lower weight at some stage? He fought at 170 pounds. That's crazy. Which is insane. Insane. And he he had a little bit of success. Like, I think he beat uh, Josh Koscheck at that lower weight. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. Remind me to ask you about the the last UFC card, the the referee. Um, I'll get back to it. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm watching a lot of glory kickboxing too, and uh, Joe, Joe Schilling is another guy I would keep my eye, my eye on as far as kickboxing goes. I think he's uh, you know, he's pretty rad as far as you know bringing a, a, a U.S. I mean, because you know most 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 kickboxing is like you know Europeans and you know people from from Africa and whatnot, and Frenchmen, you know stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Dutch mainly, you know, and. Um, you know, he's a he's an American who's actually taking it, you know, to a higher level, and that I really appreciate that. So he's someone I've been keeping my eye on, following. And he had an MMA fight in uh, in with uh, with Bellator, and um, I mean, it was against uh, Ernesto Hoost, and that was like uh, a kickboxing fight, really. <laughs> even though they were able to take each other down, it was mainly stand up. So. Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Did you see the last UFC with Koscheck was choked out, and was it Munoz was choked out? Oh uh, yeah, Mar- uh, Mark Munoz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Munoz. Man, did, that referee is he gonna get back in the ring? Because like Munoz looked fucking like he, I can't remember who choked him out, but he, I think he had released before even the referee had called the fight over. He was like, yeah, he's done. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. That that's that's some poor referee. That was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it only takes a few seconds to go out from that, those particular techniques. You know? Have you been choked out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The first time a bit crazy? Um, yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, a lot of times I, I really wanted to see what it was like, so I just let it, you know, let, let it happen, really. And, you know, that, it's, it's weird because then you wake up like 10, 5 minutes, or not, not 5 minutes, like 5 seconds later, but it feels like, Either it feels like nothing happened at all, or it feels like a whole day has gone by or something. You know, really? You know? That's crazy. So cool, man. Um, 2015 is going to be a good year for my kill. We're going to try. We're going to try and make it a good year. <laughs> well, I hope it's a good year. I think you deserve it. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to call it here, man. Mike, it's been a privilege and a pleasure to get to talk to you, and thanks for giving me the time to talk to you. I know I'm like... I'm a bit of a novice at this and, and this whole Blackout with Sunrise thing is kind of a very early stage but I appreciate you giving me the time giving me the chance to, to have a chat with you and I've really enjoyed it man 
Well, thank you. Thanks yeah. for asking. Best of luck on the European tour. Yeah, hopefully I'll see you out there. You know. Hopefully. Oh, um, just back to Savage Gold Coffee. You don't ship um, internationally at the moment, do you? Right now I'm working on it. Okay. So, you know, I'm using an existing platform that we're using the Squarespace uh, platform. Okay. And uh, I'm trying to figure, We probably later this year we'll be moving into uh, Shopify, which is like a different um, sort of back-end web store application that you can embed into Squarespace, and that allows for worldwide shipping and all that kind of you know, jazz. Cool. And, um, it'll just make the, the mail order shipping um, procedures a lot more streamlined than they are right now. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's you know, I'm going to be revamping the site at some point this, this year, like in the next, you know, maybe five, four or five months, we'll get that, get that up and running for anyone who wants to spend an arm and a leg buying a pound of coffee. In put, put me down for a bag. I think the euro and the, the dollar are pretty much on parity at the moment. So for ordering yeah. anything from the States is pretty hard at the moment because the shipping just kills you, you know, so. That's the thing, man. Yeah. It's like shipping is is really expensive overseas. Like you send a pound of coffee overseas, but I'm I'm even looking into that, man. I'm I'm trying to trying to make some kind of like deals with people to you know to distribute it out there. You know, have like a container or something. And, you know, share share freight with someone. Like I'm definitely actively working on that so that uh, you know anyone out there who wants to get some good American style coffee out Boom. there. <laughs> well, necessity is their mother of invention, man. And if you actually want to, to make it happen, you'll make it happen, you know? Yeah. You know, well, I'm working on it. Just, I don't want, I want anyone out there in the, in the European uh, continent to think that I'm, I'm forgetting, You're forgetting about, them. about them. And it's obviously the best bean. It's the best coffee to buy. I'm trying, man. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best. I just know it's pretty damn good though. Good. Well, man, I hope it all goes well for you. And, um, best of luck on the European tour. Best of luck with everything in black media and everything else, man. It's been a pleasure. All right, Kieran. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. Take care, brother.